One of the things that the Lord told me to tell you today is I I think you're going to be very unimpressed with the communicator and very impressed with God's word today. You're going to be impressed with God and not impressed with the communicator. There's too many people wanting to impress people with their communication skills, and I don't give a flip about that. What I want to do is I want to hear from heaven and I want it to change who we are and I want it to empower us to become the people of God that we were created to be. I believe that God wants to bring revival here. My wife has said that. Now, revival is not something you do. It's something you become a part of. It's something that you are uh, uh, supernaturally overtaken by. It's not something you produce It's not the title of something you do during the week and have services until you bleed. It's the Spirit of God coming upon a body of believers and does something supernatural. And that's what he wants to do. Revival is going to come to our nation and to this church because he doesn't, he's not going to come to a person. He's not going to come to a leader. He's going to come to a body of believers. He doesn't want to anoint a leader. He wants to anoint a church. Amen? Did y'all hear that? He wants to anoint us to carry out the work of the ministry. So we're going to talk about how to do that today. If you've got your Bibles, open with me to Acts chapter 2. And then uh, you can read that. Sometimes I'll get to it and sometimes I don't. You definitely, in the second service... Get the extended version of Eastside Church. If you don't like long services, then we offer one at 9 (laughs) o'clock. Because it's on a time frame. You take a risk when you come at 11. (laughs) Amen? Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 as well. In Acts chapter 2, you see Peter as he preaches the most incredible message that's probably preached in Scripture, one of my favorite. And in chapter 14 of Corinthians, you see Paul responding to the church and helping the church come to grips with how to walk in the anointing of God. In Acts chapter 2, you see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on a body of believers. And what you see is you see them speak in tongues and you see them prophesy and begin to speak the word of God with boldness. And in the midst of that, you see mocking and them saying, you know, you're drunk, you're all these kind of things. And Peter stands up and the first thing he says is, no, they're not drunk. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. But this is what you see, and then he begins to quote Joel and Isaiah and Ezekiel and David in the Psalms as he puts together this message that he had that is just incredibly powerful when it brings the kingdom to what's going on right there. And it's the spirit of prophecy. 
And in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul is dealing with the church and how to operate in that anointing of God, that, that manifestation of the power of God on a group of people so that they can carry out the gospel and be effective and powerful. In chapter 12, he talks about spiritual gifts, how to operate in the supernatural, and then everything in it is just talking about how to, you know, you're going to begin to operate in a supernatural place that you can't operate on your own. And then in chapter 13, he writes this great chapter about love that we all use at weddings, and somehow we think that that's what it was written for, I think, but that's not why chapter 13 was written. Chapter 13 is written about the love of God and how, how it looks and what it looks like in conjunction with the operation in spiritual gifts. And then in 14, he starts off with this, this um, orderly approach to uh, facilitating the anointing of God on a body of believers. But here's what it doesn't do. It doesn't want to snuff out spiritual gifts in the church today. And if you've been under teaching that says the Holy Spirit doesn't move in the church today like it did back then, what that, is, what that teaching is is snuffing out the work of the Holy Spirit in the body of believers. And let me just tell you this. It's impossible for the anointing of God and revival to come upon a body of believers without the supernatural spiritual gift flowing in that body of believers. And so he starts verse 14, or chapter 14, verse 1 with this. Pursue love, which is the ending of 13, after he has talked about all the spiritual gifts. And he says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. That word desire in the Greek means to have this passion for, to be, to, 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 to have this incredible unction to operate in, to, to value it more than you value anything else, more than your favorite TV show, more than your favorite meal, more than your favorite anything, desire, have a passion for, want, thirst for spiritual gifts especially that you prophesy. I love that passage of Scripture, especially that you pro uh, prophesy. Prophecy is vital for the kingdom of heaven to be advanced. Without the gift of prophecy, the kingdom of God cannot and will not be advanced. There's a spirit of prophecy that comes upon a body of believers that, that moves hell like nothing else has the power to move hell. It shoves it back. At the end of that chapter, he starts that first verse with... Desire spiritual gifts, especially that you prophesy. And then in verse 39, as he's ending that chapter of Scripture and that idea, that thought, he says this, Therefore, he repeats himself, Brethren, brothers, and sisters, desire earnestly, again with that same definition, to prophesy. And do not forbid speaking in tongues. If you've ever been a part of an organization that forbids that in the congregation of believers, they're in blatant disobedience to Scripture. 
and they are falling into a place where they are hindering and hampering the ability for Jesus Christ to bring revival to a church. That's as bold as I've ever said that right there. So, do you think it's important that you prophesy? It's the spirit of prophecy that moves you from one place to another. Here's a word from the Lord to you through your preacher, through your pastor. You call this home. God wants to show you the way to a place that you've never been. God wants to show you to a way to, he wants to show the way for you to a place that you've never been. And he's the only one that can lead you there. And the only way that you do that is through his presence in worship and surrendering and, and knowing that the Spirit of God is giving you information that you are not normally privy to or connecting the dots for you. And what we see in Acts chapter 2 is an amazing thing. You see the spirit of prophecy working. Again, I want to point out that every place in Acts where the spirit of God comes on a new body of believers, they, they either pray in tongues, but all of them prophesy. Every one of them. And they begin to speak the word of God with boldness. And it's the same thing you see that's happening to Peter. Now, I want to just explain to you um, as a body of believers, as a person of faith, as a, per, a son or daughter of God, oftentimes we see people that are in the limelight, that are on the stage, that do the transitions, or maybe lead worship, or maybe sing, or play, or whatever it might be, that they somehow have this, this closeness of God that's not available to everybody else. And it's just not the truth. And it's a lie from the pit of hell. It is trying to get you to a place where you're, that you're not functioning the way God intended you to function. He's trying to rob you of being everything God created you to be. He's trying to rob you from going to a place that the Lord wants to take you, but only he can lead you there. In the, in the Gospels, there's such an, a beautiful description of the disciples walking with Jesus and how they're confused and they just don't get it. I mean, he tells them over and over and over and over again different things about the kingdom of God and who he is and who his father is and, you know, on and on and on and on and they just, they just don't, it doesn't click. At one point in chapter 14 in John, you know, he's talking to the disciples and he said, where, I, where I'm going, you can't go. Where I'm going, you can't go. And, and they go, well, why can't we go, Jesus? Wherever you go, I'm going to go. No, you can't go there. And then he, gets, he talks to them a little bit more, and they just don't get it. And Philip says, Philip looks at him and goes, well, Jesus, you know, show us the Father. I'd I, I really love to see the Father. And Jesus says, Philip, I've been with you all this time, and you still just don't get it. If you see me, you've seen the Father. You see what I'm saying? They were in a place they just didn't get it. Look at Paul. Paul was in a place where he was zealous for God against the work of God. Let me repeat that one more time. He defined himself as being zealous for God when he was actually working against the works of God. And then he had this 
this experience with Jesus where Jesus hit him with the light, and that's where he lost his eyesight. But he had this encounter with Christ, and it changed everything about what he saw in Scripture. And it began to put him in a place where he began to see things in a totally different light. So much so that he was able to cross-reference in the New Testament so many different things in the Old Testament where he wrote the majority of the New Testament. But he had to have this encounter with God. And when he did have that encounter, the Holy Spirit came upon him and he spoke with tongues. He said about himself, I'm glad I pray more in tongues than everybody. But he prophesied. He brought the word of the Lord. And what happened with Peter is he got revelation. Now what happens and what happened with Peter and what happened, this is why I want you to hear this, is because this is what God wants for you. He wants to take you to a place that you've never been in him. And the only way you're going to get there is if you open yourself up to the things of God and the things of the Spirit and allow him to take you there. That's why he says, do not forbid. That's why he said, don't forbid. Because if you begin to stiff arm God, what you're going to find is, is that he doesn't move. And I'll point that out here in just a minute. So what you see with Peter, he gets baptized in the Holy Spirit. and He begins to pray in the Spirit. And then he begins to proclaim and prophesy the word of God with boldness. And then the people rise up and some of them say, what's going on here? Others say, start mocking and making fun of them, which they do about those two issues today. In the church, they make fun of it. And they mock it. They're still doing it. But Peter stands up and what he does is he begins to quote Isaiah, Ezekiel, the prophet David from the Psalms, cross-reference Joel, and everything that Joel wrote about and everything Isaiah wrote about and everything Ezekiel wrote about and everything King David wrote about, and he says, I'm, this right here, what they wrote about, this right here, that's what you see in here. He was able to take the Word of God and see its content and bring it to a place where it could move with power into his current situation. That's the spirit of prophecy. And God wants to do that in your life. And I really want you to see that. And so this week, I'm thinking about this, and I'm praying about this message, and I get this call on the telephone. And Kristen Love calls me. And she says, Pastor, I just, last night the, the, the Lord woke me up in the middle of the night. And, and he, started, he told me to go to Isaiah 48, and I went to Isaiah 48, and I read that. And then, then he told me to go to Exodus, and I went there. And then he, and then he showed me this, and he, he put these two things, these two scriptures together. And this is what he said about those scriptures. And, and that's what it means to me, and it's making me check everything in my life. And, then, and I don't want to steer a limelight because she's going to come and talk, but this is what she said. Why haven't you taught me this? And I said, because you just taught me. Because the spirit of prophecy moved upon her. And she was able to, to 
take in the word of God. And, and, the word, and the word came alive to her. And she was able to connect with God. And then she was able to bring this thing forward that had the ability to change her circumstances. And the reason I asked her to come is because she's, come on, Kristen, she's an ordinary person. I'm not calling her ordinary as a negative thing. She's a mother of 24. No, it's not quite that many, but but it's, you know, it's, and, and Alan's my hero. Amen, brother. But she doesn't have doctor beside her name. She doesn't have pastor beside her name. She has mama, wife, woman of God, person who is open to the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. So let's hear what the Lord, you want to? Why don't you give her a round of applause as she shares. Okay, just to correct a couple of things, since there's people here that don't know us, we don't have 24 kids. I have six. I have two grandchildren and two neighbor kids, and at any time there are eight kids at my house. Okay, so we do have a lot of kids, and God knows that, so he has decided that the best time to get in touch with me seems to be 2.45 in the morning when I'm asleep, and he wakes me up, and he tells me stuff, and I'm like, I was sleeping so good, but it had importance, and so I went with it. Um, As Alex was saying, Isaiah 48 was the first scripture that God gave me, and some of you may or may not know that um, my husband and I both interact with the kids here at Eastside on Wednesday nights, and I had given the girls a challenge to step out of their comfort zone in their walk with God and to do something that they haven't done before, and in that, if I'm going to issue a challenge, I have to take the challenge, right? because it's not right for me to expect them to do something I'm not willing to do. So although I do study my Bible and I was journaling really well, I decided I needed to step up my journaling was my challenge for myself. And so I, I, I got up when he woke me up and said, okay, he's taken this challenge seriously. And he um, gave me this scripture and I, I wrote some notes and then I did some more digging and stuff and then I called Alex all excited and Michael was with him, and I did ask him, why didn't you teach me this? But it wasn't just him. Nobody had taught me this. I, I was telling someone just last night, I don't ever remember not knowing who Jesus was or who God was. I was raised in a family that, that taught me that. But I was not, I do remember having that, that transition where I was going to decide to follow him. But I don't ever remember not knowing him. Okay, so in part of knowing that, I kind of don't ever remember not knowing the Ten Commandments. They just kind of came along with it. We used to have them on on the school walls and stuff. And one of those commandments, the third commandment, it says that thou shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And it goes on at the end of that scripture or that verse. It says, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Everyone that I ever heard preach about this topic told me that that says you don't say GD. You don't say OMG. You don't say Jesus Christ in a profane way. Don't use profanity. So, and I agree that's important, but God was showing me that that's not what this meant right now in my life. 
So to tie it back to Isaiah 48, this is what it says in the New Living Translation. Listen to me, O family of Jacob. You who are called by the name of Israel and born into the family of Judah, listen, you who take oaths in the name of the Lord and call on the God of Israel, you don't keep your promises. Even though you call yourself the holy city and talk about dependent on the God of Israel, whose name is the Lord of the heaven's armies. Long ago, I told you what was going to happen. Then suddenly I took action and all of my predictions came true. For I know how stubborn and obstinate you are. Your necks are unbending as iron and your heads are as hard as bronze. So I'm looking at the scripture and I thought, oh no, God is saying to me that I don't keep my promises and I've got a hard head. And I was looking for all the negative in the scripture and I wasn't sure where it was going until he gave me the third commandment. And he pointed back to this and he said, look. They claimed and took the name of God, yet they did it in vain. They didn't do everything that they could do, and it was producing worthless, thoughtless stuff. So I went back to the third commandment and started doing some research on it because I have a little bit of, of Hebrew knowledge that I wanted to, to pull on. And I looked at different translations, and almost every translation, it says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. So I went and looked at the Hebrew direct translation. It says, you will not carry or take up the name of the Lord your God in vain, for God will not hold guiltless anyone who takes his name in vain. When looking at the word vain in Hebrew, it's lashav, L-A-S-H-A-V. This word means falsely, worthlessly, thoughtlessly, without result, or fruitless. It doesn't say anything about profanity. It doesn't say anything about cussing and, and, and talking that way. And then I started thinking, well, you know, when there's God has order to everything. And when you look at the Ten Commandments, he says, the greatest commandment is that you shall have no other God before me. Then the second commandment was that you will not make any graven idols. Then the third commandment was don't cuss. And it just didn't make sense. But... When you start looking at it and breaking it down and looking what vain means, then you have to look backward and see what does it mean to take your name. Well, I start looking at American customs, and when I got married, prior to my marriage, I was Kristen Moore. I took my husband's name and became Kristen Love. And I'm now identified as Kristen Love, or we together are Mr. and Mrs. Love. We're one unit. We are a family. So I took his name. The other time that you might take a name is when you adopt someone. We are, t we are told in sorry, Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 15. It says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you should not be like cowering, fearful slaves. You should behave instead like God's very own children, adopted into his family, calling him Father, dear Father. For his Holy Spirit speaks to us deep in our hearts and tells us what we are God's children. And since we are his children, we will share his treasures. For everyone, God gives, or for everything God gives to his son Christ is ours too. 
But if we do not share in his glory, we must also share in his, for us to share in his glory, we must also share in his sufferings. So he's telling us we've been adopted. And when we say that we're a Christian, we've taken his name. We married into the family of God. So now if we put all this together, it says, Thou shall not marry or be adopted into the family of God worthlessly, thoughtlessly, falsely, or fruitlessly. But if you look at the opposite and see then what we should be doing, we should be doing it in value, with thought and a purpose, with result, effectively and positively. So then we have to ask, okay, so how do we do that as Christians? Do we, do we just say we're, well, I believe, so I'm a Christian, I'm good. It's okay that you believe, that's great that you believe, but there's more than just believing. Because God makes it clear in Revelation when he says that we, <laughs> sorry, I know all the things you do, thank you, I know all the things that you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. He doesn't want us to do it half-heartedly. That's not the intention of being a Christian. Also in Peter, we say that it would have been, the scriptures say in the New International Version, it would have been better for them not to have known the way to righteousness than to have known it and then turn their backs on the sacred command that he passes on to them. But what we do know, in order for us to produce fruit, that there is a way for us to do it. And we're supposed to do that according to what Matthew says, where the, the um, disciples are sitting with Jesus, and they talk to him, and, he's, and they say to him, Teacher, which is the great commandment, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. And when Pastor Alex earlier referenced in John 14, in verse 15, it says, If you love me, obey my commandments. That's what I got. <laughs> That's slightly good, isn't it? What was really wild is I called her. Was it last night I called you back or the night before or whatever? A couple of nights ago, I was on, the, I was on Facebook. And there was a there was a, uh, a pastor in town that uh, had service by himself on last Sunday. <laughs> and I don't know if anybody showed up or not, but it was snowy. You know, that was a joke. I'm sorry, that didn't go anywhere. <laughs> I mean, they never panned on the audience. I know that. <clears throat> but he preached anyway. He preached on "Don't take the Lord your God in vain." In the name of the Lord your God in vain. And this is what he said. I've got all this, had all this message ready this morning, and I'm nervous to, to preach this because the Lord woke me up in the middle of the night. <laughs> and he said, preach on, don't take the Lord. And so I called her up and said, wait. I said, all right, now listen. Did you watch anything on Facebook? Did you have any influence? No. Absolutely not. And, and that validated the word of the Lord. And let me just tell you this. Her version was better. 
Now, the reason I'm saying that is not comparing, but he had doctor in front of her name, his name, and she doesn't. God is not a respecter of persons. He wants to take, if, 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 you're, if you feel like you're not very smart, that qualifies you in God's world. You're a perfect candidate to, to be what the Lord wants. It's the spirit of prophecy. It happens today. It happens to you. It happens to me. But that's how you move from one place to another. Listen to what the Lord's word said. It says, without vision, God's people will perish. And that word in the Hebrew means without, without prophetic vision. Without being able to see into the spirit what God's will and God's plan for your life in a certain circumstance is. And here's the truth about our condition in America. People have no idea the difference between the works of Satan and the works of God. We are so blinded and so unaware of the spirit of prophecy that we can't even tell the difference between the two. I was talking to a person and praying for a person this week or last week or whatever that that, that you know, her husband was a drug addict and had left, and she was left with two small children, and we, we could pray for her. And then, then I saw her again this, this, this past week. I said, how's it going? You know, how can we pray? And she said, well, just pray if this is God's will for my life that I just stopped her in her tracks. I said, let me just tell you something. Anybody ever tells you that it's the will of God that your husband is a drug addict and that he left a perfectly good family that he's responsible for, that he needs to bring income and provision to, that's the will of God. You, you slapped him in the face. <laughs> no, don't do that. But, but that's ridiculous. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. God's will for her is that they have an incredible family. That they begin to teach the nature and the character and the name of God to their children and that an anointing would come upon them and that they would go out and carry the kingdom of God to a generation that's lost. That's the will of God. So first you've got to be able to tell the difference between God's will and Satan's destruction. And you can't do that without the spiritual gifts or the spirit of prophecy. You see, there's a gift in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians that's called discernment. And people think and say oftentimes, well, I've got discernment. That's not the spiritual gift. The spiritual gift is to be able to discern evil spirit from the spirit of God. So now, with that in mind, I want you to hold that over here with your left hand. And I'm going to go over here with your right hand, okay? And then we're going to touch those two. In Isaiah chapter 48, this is what goes on. This is the ACB version, Alex C. Barefoot version of Isaiah chapter 48, okay? This is what's going on. God comes to the church. The people who say they're saved, the people of God, and he says to them this, I took time enough to show you way in advance what I was going to do. Way in advance. So that when I did it, that you would know it was me. 
Because if I didn't do it that way, what you would have done is you would have given the credit for doing that to other gods. And that could be the God of anything. It could be the God of of happenstance. It could have been the God of, you know, just that's just the way it is. Or you could have gave it to whatever force you felt like had some kind of influence. Maybe, maybe somebody gave you a check or maybe something. You know, when somebody gives you a check or so, somehow God brings provision, that if, if I have a need for $500 to pay my electric bill and Michael Wallace gives me $500, let me just tell you something. Michael Wallace didn't give me $500, although he did. He was the instrument of the most high God to bring me provision. The source is the Lord. So we could give credit to where credit wasn't due. We wouldn't acknowledge that God was the one who did it, in other words. That the source is God. He said, I showed you all that so, so that you would know when I did it that it, would only, it could only be me. And then he says, now what I'm about to do, I'm not going to show you. I'm not going to show you what I'm about to do because if, if I show you what I'm about to do and it actually happens, then you're going to take credit for it yourself. You're going to think you did it. Those are two examples of what we do. We give the wrong credit to the wrong person, or we take credit for it ourselves. And God says this about that. I'm not sharing my glory with anybody. Jeremiah 48. I'm the one who wants to get the glory. Now, he doesn't do that selfishly. He wants to do that so that everybody around you will find their source and their needs being met by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And this is what he says about himself. I'm the one who holds the stars and the planets into place. I'm the one who does all this kind of thing. What other God even claims to do that? None of your gods claim to do that. I'm not sharing that with anybody. I want you to give me the glory so that people will begin to look to me to meet their needs. And let me just tell you this. He says about you and me that the reason he has to do that is because we're so stubborn and hard-headed and we resist God. The only thing that can keep the anointing of God off your life is your stubbornness and your hard-headedness. Because his desire for you is to take you to a place that he can only take you. And it's a place that you've never been. In him. Without vision, you perish. Michael showed me this, and he was just all giddy about it. I guess he read it between or yesterday or something at some point. But Isaiah 48, if you've got your Bibles, flip it open to me and go to verse 17. I love this passage, and I want you to get the context of what Kristen was saying and what I'm saying. There's a spirit of prophecy that's available to every person who's been adopted into the family of God. This is, this is great truth. There is, there is prophetic vision. Prophetic vision is this. It's God's plan, God's purpose that, that he's carrying out by his grace that you do not have the ability to carry out on your own. And he wants to do that in your life, and it's good. There's no way, Michael was saying, and it is true, that we can exaggerate the goodness of God. God is saying about you and me, 
that I've got this incredible plan for you to go to, to whatever in your life is barren to, to bring to life, to whatever is, is dry and dead and, and, and just seems as if there's no life whatsoever that's bitter. I want to make sweet, but I want to bring life to it, and I want it to flourish, and I want it to come to abundance. There's, a, there's stuff in your life that has tremendous lack that you know is just not cutting it in God's standard. And he's saying to you, I've got this prophetic vision for your life in this circumstance that wants to take you to a place that you can't go and you don't know where that is, but it's a place of prosperity from a place of lack. And I've got this thing for you. If you don't push back, if you don't give credit to anybody else, or if you don't take credit for it yourself. And he says this about you and me. I love you so much. This is a word from the Lord for you. And you need to believe this. I love you so much. And my plans are so good for you. They're so good for you. That, but even when you're hard-headed and even when you give it to somebody else and even when you take my name in vain, in other words, even when you don't believe that I can do what I do, in your life, even when I hold the stars together and you don't believe I can move on you, even when you take my name in vain, even when you don't receive everything that I have to offer you, I'm going to withhold my anger from you. And the reason I am is because I love you and I have incredible vision for you. And he says that to the church. Right here in verse 17 in Isaiah. He says, thus says the Lord, your Redeemer. God, this is so good, y'all. The Holy One of Israel, the, the one that is the head of the church. I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit. Say that with me. My God, said loud and with conviction, my God wants to teach me to profit. That's good. Isn't it? And I can only get there. Oh, we can say that together too. Let's do it again. And I can only get there if I surrender to Him and I operate in the prophetic. Letting him lead me to a place that I don't know, that I can't go unless he leads me. I'm the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you by the way you should go. That's his plan. So the word comes alive and we're able to apply it to our personal circumstance and we begin to take on his nature and his name and, and then we can please God in every way and then the fullness of God begins to manifest in our life in every place. 
the water, the Spirit of God begins to flow over us and to nourish those dry places, and it comes alive and it begins to bear fruit in the name of Jesus. I've got a word of caution. You can come, Michael. I got a word of caution. Some of you, some of us, and there's a tendency in Christendom. Come on, worship team. There's a tendency in Christendom I want you to hear me. Listen to this. This is profound. We make an idol out of our brokenness or our broken places. How do we do that? Well, we take the Lord's name in vain. We don't believe that God can do anything about our broken places. So we make this idol. And that broken place may come from a place that that's the way it's always been. That's the way I've always been when it doesn't look like the Lord. Or it comes from a generational thing. That you may have been handed down behavior and thought patterns and ideas about who you are and who God is and what the Word of God says and how it applies to your life that is totally contrary to the truth and the ways of the Lord and how he wants to bring victory to something. And when you value that place more than you value the ability of God to bring victory, you make it your God. Did you hear that? And God's saying, don't take my name in vain. I came to do it for you. Everything that I gave to Jesus, I'm giving to you. You're adopted. You're sons and daughters. It's yours. Pursue me. Believe me. Watch me. Be open to me. Desire spiritual gifts more than you desire a great meal or a great TV program or sleep. Desire spiritual gifts more than you desire sleep or food or substance. Man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Especially that you prophesy. Especially that the spirit of prophecy that gives you vision, that shows you the way out, that leads you. 